Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. We're recording this just before Valentine's Day and the beauty of the podcast medium is that we can't see you blushing as we tell you how much we love you all for tuning in every fortnight. I'm Richard Lander and sharing the love with me again this week are co-host Angus Foote and those titans of fund manager data Nisha Long and Frank Talbot. Regular listeners will know we're rolling out our new CityWire Ratings thematic sectors And this week, Frank will be focusing on robotics and AI. And with so much focus on equities as markets hit fresh highs, it's way too easy to forget about fixed income. So Nisha this week will be looking at the managers making waves in the global bond sector. But Frank, tell us about robotics and AI, uh, the sectors that threaten to replace us all within the next decade. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to try not to make any jokes about robots and love. That is actually quite a big part of the robotics index. Um, but yeah, our newly crafted robotics and AI sector, uh, these are still hot topics. Uh, we're seeing far less headlines about robots will replace our jobs than they were a year or two ago. But we are still inexorably heading towards this future where automation becomes commonplace. And hopefully we're all sitting on the beach drinking Mai Tais, incapable of doing anything, you know, much like uh, the people depicted in Disney's Wally. It's a classic, in case you haven't caught it. Uh, I must note that uh, the journalism isn't particularly secure, by the way, when it comes to robots doing uh, doing what we do. Probably better. A um, bit of background here. The main index in, in robotics is the Robo Global Robotics and Automation Index. Uh, as with tech, heavily dominated by the US, around half the index is located there. Um, though uh, it's a lot less than, than in global tech, where that's more like 80%. So it leaves room for other countries to have a larger stake. Japan is another leader when it comes to robotics and automation. And um, how unlike tech, these are unlikely to be names that you've heard of. Uh, however, they aren't small companies. They're just very niche in terms of how they're applied. You know, Half the index is split fairly evenly between large cap and then mid cap. Um, so that's that's background on the index and what's in it. In terms of the funds, the most well-known here is arguably and probably best is the robotics, uh, Pictet Robotics Fund. Um, however, that's been soft closed for what feels like its entirety. Uh, so if you can get a look in there, do. Um, but a notable second to Pictet here is the Ishikie Robotics Fund. This is only a 21 million euro fund, so not a heavyweight by any means, uh, but it reflects how niche this area is. This is run by AA rated Roland Grandi. Um, it has a healthy chunk in, in IT, some of which are bigger players in related industries like, say, NVIDIA, uh, which provides the computational grunt to power robots. Um, also, another another big stake in the, in the sector level stake in the fund is industrials. So that's applied robotics and manufacturing. Healthcare as well is a key one. You know, robots will be more effective than humans at doing surgeries. You know, that is an obvious path that we're heading towards. Uh, it's a super aggressive fund, uh, just 24 holdings. So uh, a lot of conviction, but that conviction has been rewarded. Uh, it's up 40% over the past year. So it's sort of in line with, with broader tech. Robotics, you do pay a big premium for it. You know, these companies are on 40 times PE multiples, the index itself. So it's not cheap, uh, but uh, certainly a lot of interest around who's going to be the winners in terms of defining the technology that takes over. Um, so that's the robotics side, um, which is, as I said, pretty small congregation of companies. The AI side is is much broader church. Uh, you've got um, portfolios tend to look a bit like supercharged tech funds. 
Uh, and there's a significant overlap with traditional technology. Some of the biggest players here, like you Googles, are also biggest positions in technology. Um, top among them, fund-wise, is Allianz's Global Artificial Intelligence Fund. Uh, it's up close to 100% over the year, so it's doubled. Interesting stakes. The biggest holding here is the is Roku, the streaming platform. It's a seven percent position. Now Roku has invested loads in natural language processing, and it's a master at delivering the content you want to watch before you knew you did want to watch it. I mean, that's part of the the thing that they're all striving for, Netflix included. Um, then it's Tesla, uh, which obviously has a market lead in automated driving. It's not just the battery tech that they're dominating in. Traditional auto manufacturers are certainly lagging when it comes to this, and Musk's ambitions are lofty, as with everything Musk-related. Uh, but that might be tech that they end up licensing in the future. It could be so good that everyone else will want a piece of it. Uh, and then uh, Amazon is, is another a big position. You know, I know it sounds like a tech fund, but Amazon is one of those things that lets you know what you want to buy before you did. Sometimes stuff you don't need, uh, as is often the case with me. Um, another interesting stake, just slightly further down the, the fund, is, is Disney, actually, which uh, has invested huge chunks in creative, creating interactive cartoons for augmented reality and virtual reality, kind of like assistants. Um, maybe a better way to think of them as companions. Listen, I don't know. I'm not really the target demographic here, but uh, it's still it's an emerging space and it's difficult to separate out some of these massive tech companies from the AI components that make them. Um, that's what I was going to jump in and say there, Frank. I mean, it seems like, you know, calling yourself an AI fund gives you license to pretty well invest anywhere you like. It does, because in, to a certain extent, it is it is the buzzword AI within the, the whole tech industry. My TV says it's AI. Everything says it's AI. Siri is obviously useless, but apart from that. Angus. So, so two things come into my mind. First of all, asset allocation, and secondly, time horizons. Because I think you said in your initial preamble there, Frank, you said something along the lines of automation eventually becomes commonplace. Now, what you often see with themes or things which are identified as separate themes is they start off as being distinct, then they get absorbed into the mainstream. You know, think about how the fangs were tech. Now, they're, now they drive the main indices. So at what point does that happen? Are there enough... Uh, good opportunities here to, to create a sort of meaningful peer group of funds. I mean, clearly there are for a sector, but going forward, I'd just be interested to know your thoughts about that. Do we end up with a long tail of, of smaller funds here that everybody forgets about <clears throat> and just a handful of big winners? And, and what sort of time horizon can investors realistically look at these over uh, looking into the future if at some point AI robotics becomes part of the investment mainstream? Obviously, it's difficult to predict when when the breakthrough is going to come. I think time horizon is important. It is this is a small sector, but we felt it was worthy to carve out because they are trying to do something different. You know, the AI funds finally look a bit more like tech, but most of this sector is actually robotics. Uh, and so it's about identifying the ones that are really doing something different. I guess is the crux of it. Yeah, and 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 all good. But there's but you know not to labour the point, but you know there's a lot of well-known names in there, Tesla, Amazon, Roku, which primarily do something else. Uh, are there just not enough publicly listed companies that are sort of 100% AI? Uh, are those still in the hands of, of private equity and, and venture capital? 
I think a lot of what happens in AI is you see the larger tech companies just snap up uh, AI companies as they realize the importance of it to, to get their content or whatever they're selling in your face as effectively as possible in order to increase their revenues. So uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a blurred line. Right. Yeah, because you had Google and and uh, Uber in this spat over the intellectual property of their self-driving cars. But as you say, they're both quoted companies. They can just pay out whatever they want for these for these small research setups. Nisha? Yeah, I just want to um, say um, a bit of a personal experience, actually, with Pictet Robotics Fund. Um, so it's been, it's very popular with our European audience and it has been soft closed for a while. Um, but six months ago, I mentioned to some editors um, that I was able to buy it on Hargreaves Lansdowne when it was soft closed. So it poses a question. I don't have the answer to this. I have no idea. But how was I able to just go onto that platform and buy into Pictet Robotics where the hard marketing on Pictet was? This is soft closed, closed. Close to investors, new investors. And as a new investor, I was able to buy it. I'm glad I was. I hold it and it's, you know, it's, it's doing very, very well. well. Maybe well, they... Yeah. Well, I think the on. answer to that is that soft close means whatever the person saying it wants it to mean. Yeah, they could yeah. sell you a, a modest chunk, but they didn't want big institutions coming in with 100 million. I mean, exactly. I, I'm not going into how much you bought there, Nisha. Or, or maybe <laughs> not the, millions. <laughs> maybe the uh, HL platform had a, enough AI to recognize you as an influencer and said, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> maybe. Buy it. So, uh, oh, good. Well, I, I suggest you hold it. Uh, that doesn't constitute financial advice, I should add. Uh, on to corporate bonds, and uh, I read somewhere today that the this is this is so timely because the FT said, or someone said, the FT had a story about UK corporate bonds on its front page for the first time in twenty years, and this was the massive bond that ASDA have raised two and a half billion, two point seven five billion, a record sterling junk bond sale, and uh, by the new owners of ASDA have taken it private, well bought it from Walmart put in a sliver of equity and erasing the rest in debt. Uh, and one can see why it's priced at 3.25%, uh, which, goodness knows, is stratospheric by today's standards. So, uh, Nisha, tell, tell us more about what's happening in this sector. Yeah, so um, what you've just mentioned as well, in the junk sector is where um, the yields can be still made in global corporates, um, but it's a kind of a different story on the investment grade side and um, with spreads um, tightening as well in this space you know against the reference rate which is you know your government bonds um, with the same maturity you know it does mean there is economic improvement but it might be less opportunities to be had in this space and that's why investors are turning more towards your high yield rather than you know the corporate bond space so just looking at managers in global corporate so just on a rating standpoint there were quite a few managers who lost their ratings last year during the market meltdown um, but they have you know during the recovery period especially as you know european equities or equities full stop were you know doing very well and so did you know, on the bond side as well global corporates and um just a couple of weeks ago, I did a longer bonds video, just a slight plug for me, um, on global corporates. I'm just looking at the managers who have consistently performed in this sector. And the managers who just keep on coming up, no matter how many times I do this sector, are the Blue Bay Global Investment Grade Corporate Bond Fund Managers, who are Andre Schieber, Thomas Moltz, Vinit Patel, and Mark Stacey, all AA rated. 
And with these guys, what um, was is interesting about them is that despite loads of managers losing their ratings in the bond sectors um, last year after April, they held on to their rating. They might have gone down a notch, but you know now they're at double A rated, and you know produced 26% over the last three years. And for a bond fund, you know, okay, it's capital returns, but, you know, it's done pretty well against the benchmark, which is, which we have assigned as the Bloomberg Barclays Global Aggregate, which returned about 20%. But just to move slightly onto why these managers have performed so well, it is by going into, you know, risk management. It's the risk management of their portfolio, which has really driven performance in this. And one of their strengths is investing investing in credit default swaps, which they are, you know, really good at, especially with these managers tracking them across their careers. You know, they've been really good at this. So it's almost like, so CDS credit default swaps are almost like insurance contracts where you're exchanging risk. And it's, as I mentioned, it's all about risk management where you're, you know, swapping the risk of one for another bond. And they've done this really well. And just recently as well, my colleague, Chris Lowley, spoke to Nick Hayes of AXA, and he's doing exactly the same thing. And, you know, he's performed really well on the back of this as well. Are, are they so, making money from these or just yeah, yeah, it, uh, it's, reducing it's, the downside? Yeah, it's reducing the downside, which I think a lot of managers needed to do anyway. But they can even with this risk management, what they have in their portfolios um, is helping on the upside. So, for example, with these um, managers, 70% of their fund is invested in triple B rated bonds on the investment grade side. So that's where they're picking up on their yield and some of their returns. And they're still in quality bonds. Um, it's not, you know, they're not junk or anything. They still, you know, have good cash flows, you know, really good balance sheets, etc. But I think in the period we're entering now, it is really about how you manage your risk in these portfolios, in these bond portfolios. And if, you know, the, you know, spreads are tightening. It is, you know, place for when investors might go into government bonds instead, because you're not getting that risk premium that you would get with corporates. So it's going to be harder for corporate bond managers to find those opportunities out there to, you know, well, get investors into their funds compared Great. to a government bond. Uh, I think, I think Angus, where are your selectors putting the well, bets? Well, I was going to say, yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic. And I think it's a key time for people who are doing fund manager selection. Because firstly, you have the asset allocation part. And obviously, normally, a fund selector gets given the asset allocation from the asset allocation committee and then has to find the best managers. OK, well, here, somebody's got to make the right asset allocation call first. Do we want to be in this section of the bond market or not? And then actually where these two things come together the it's not just about what sort of assets do you want to be in within those bond spaces the managers that you pick will be absolutely key because if you pick the ones who haven't guarded against the downside and that particular scenario plays out then actually you're looking at a quite unpleasant situation so i think the um that that fusion of asset allocation and manager selection doesn't happen very often and here it, i think it's a a real turning point, I think, for, for fund selectors. And also, uh, Nisha showed us some research earlier in the week, which was really interesting, and I think plays into the same kind of idea, looking at global flexible bonds, the strategic bond sector, and looking at the correlation between some of those funds and equities over time. Uh, and again, this shows that you've absolutely got to pick the managers who are doing what you think they're doing. Rather than Frank, come in. 
Yeah, I was just to say it's a, it's an interesting balancing act. You know, paying for protection right now while it's seemingly cheap is is a kind of shrewd move. But what if that starts to become expensive? Uh, certainly, the last ten years where the bond bull market was called time so many times. Uh, if you were paying for protection when it was quite expensive, it was eroding some of your returns, and that ended up making you less competitive relative to your peers. So if you do pay for protection. Great, well, it's cheap, but if, if interest rates never materialise and we don't get the inflation that, that is required for those interest rates to go up or central banks take a totally different policy like it looks like they are going to do, then it, you, you are relying, absolutely, as Angus says, on the, on the skill of the manager to employ the derivatives at the right moment uh, and not uh, pay too much. All right. And as you say, Frank, everyone's said the bond party's over from almost the day when it started about... 20 years ago actually for 40 years ago 40 years. and it, and it's not and you know you look at liquidity and yes there's a debate about whether inflation is coming back and and the central banks will pull away the punch bowl but honestly with the state that the economies are in at the moment that really doesn't seem like that's happening there's you know incredible amounts of li- liquidity and we mustn't forget that you know as Nisha says, the you know the the spread over the reference rate, which is the local ten-year government bonds, they're most places still going down as well. I think Italy got stampeded for for money at one and a half percent. Spain is under one percent. Germany, as we know, is negative. So uh, you know the spreads are going down. The reference rates are going down. Uh, it will end. It's. You know, in the end, it's like the equity market. Everyone says it'll all end one day in tears, and it probably will, but no one's, no one knows when it is. So that's why you've got to pick the right fund managers. Cool. Okay, listen, I think that's around it. Uh, both very interesting topics. Thank you to Angus, Nisha, and Frank for another fascinating discussion. Uh, thank you also to Alan Walsh for making us all sound wonderful, and we'll see you again very soon. Bye-bye.